0: Today's podcast is brought to you
1: by Unspooled. Paul Scheer and Amy Nicholson are watching the greatest movies of all time on their new podcast, Unspooled.
0: First episode is out now. Paul and Amy watch all those classic movies you're supposed to have seen on Turner Classic Movies and Filmstruck, like Citizen Kane. Actually, very, very good. Guys, watch it.
1: Ask Bobby Axelrod. Ask
0: Bobby Axelrod about watching that on an actual screen. That's the first episode, and they're going to cover everything else on the AFI's 100 list, like Taxi Driver. Graduate, Pulp Fiction, lots more. Phenomenal. They explore all of the unreal backstories,
1: like how a group of Hollywood bigwigs tried to stop Citizen Kane from being made. They wanted to burn that movie. You burn
0: that? the witch! And they bring on film experts to talk about what else happened behind the scenes. If you've heard Paul's other podcast, How Did This Get Made?, you know this will be fun. Check out Unspooled in
1: podcast apps like Apple Podcasts right yes. now.
0: We also want to tell you about TheRinger.com. What a great website. It's really good. <laughs> On the site today, you can find lots of coverage about Deadpool 2, the movie we're about to talk about with pieces by Sean Fennessy, the big chief honcho. Micah Peters, my office mate, coolest guy at The Ringer.
1: Miles Surrey, another person who works here. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all great. Check them out. Miles, that was said with sincere love. Yes. Hope you know that. And also, please check out the Ringer Podcast Network. Sean had Andrew Grotadaro on the Big Picture Podcast to talk about Deadpool 2 as well. So you can get your Deadpool fix if that's what you're looking for. Bring your toaster strudels.
0: Warning. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. At one point in Deadpool 2, Wade Wilson, the titular Deadpool, has his body torn in half he then grows a new set of, I guess, everything from the waist down, essentially. And for much of a scene, he sits there with the legs and genitals of a preteen, I guess you would say, just hanging out like that. So that's the thing that happens in this movie. If you're not about that, please check out the big picture. Tough to move on from that. <laughs> I mean, it's tough to watch. <laughs> and and <yet> we must. <laughs> so
1: one more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know why people are referencing Basic Instinct while discussing a comic book movie, hint, it has something to do with what Jason was just (laughs) talking about. That exact moment. (laughs) Please proceed with extreme
0: caution. And now, binge mode. Hi there. Stay back, or Justin Bieber dies. (laughs) (laughs) Justin Bieber, he called you Justin Bieber. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let's let's not do whatever that is. Okay, let's just talk. It's, it's Russell, right?
1: Fire first.
0: Come quietly, or there will be trouble.
1: You stole that from Robocop. That's from Robocop. Just stand down. You're embarrassing me. Look.
0: Fire. Fi- Fire. Damn, oh my god. <laughs> I can't say it. I'm so sorry. Ah! <gasps>
1: Welcome to Binge Mode. Oh, yeah. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Joining me today, now yes. that he's finished warming up some toaster strudel. I eat them cold,
0: honestly. Cold, warm, whatever. Do you try to conserve the icing for the last bite? That's what I do. I eat around the edge, yeah, and then I kind of eat towards the middle. I eat that little, the part that's uniced. That's around That's how the, I eat I, a Reese's. I call it the bezel. I eat the <laughs> bezel
1: <laughs> of the toaster strudel, and then I eat towards the center. Much like Deadpool said that Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants was poor pornography. So was <laughs> yeah. that from Jason. Yes. It's ringer staff writer. Hello. Your master, Jason Concepcion. It is I, Mal. Yeah.
0: Welcome back yeah. to Binge Mode Weekly. We're off our every Thursday schedule at the moment as we prepare for the launch of Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. done, done, dun. On June 11th, when it will be hot, but not the hottest. <laughs> We're still popping up when we can dive into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. You can find both weekly and the eventual Harry Potter pod on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, please rate and review us. Five stars, guys. Five and stars. if you're looking for something fun to do over Memorial weekend, why not come to Dallas, Texas, where the barbecue is hot and so is the company? Hang out with us. We'll be down we there We for... about Gendry, to be clear. Ooh, still rowing. Actually, he's
1: done. Still he's running. A, he's not running.
0: Running. <laughs> running, Runnin', rowing. The guy's a triathlete. Too bad they don't have bikes up there. We'll be down at Con of Thrones in Dallas, Texas, so please be sure to come see us if you're in the area. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Binge underscore Mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans, and always provides the latest wind advisories.
1: Gotta check your weather app. That's right.
0: Today on Binge Mode Weekly, we are
1: diving not only out of the chopper with the rest of X-Force. X-Force, guys. But into Deadpool too. Right. Again, requisite spoiler warning for today's binge. As always, we will be going deep on details from Deadpool 2, 2016's Deadpool, and the wider comic book lore. So check your parachutes and watch out for power lines because it's time to crash the convoy. Yeah. Jason? Yeah? I don't know much about this cable fella.
0: Even people who know about him don't (laughs) know much about him, honestly.
1: But I guarantee you, he hasn't killed as many people as melanoma has. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Peter. That's a great
1: one. But in case anyone else wants to know something about this cable fellow, let's offer up a very brief refresher on what actually happened in Deadpool 2 by calling up Dopinder and taking a quick trip
0: yeah. on our very own King's Road. It's been two years since the events of Deadpool, and we find Wade Wilson, also known as Deadpool, played by Ryan Reynolds in a dark place. Vanessa, played by the exquisite Marina Baccarin. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I don't understand why she isn't the literally the biggest star I know, in movies stunning. and television. She's great. That's all. <laughs> His girlfriend slash future baby mama has just been killed as the result of blowback from a botched contract job. Deadpool's taking it kind of hard. Turns on the gas in the oven, lies down on several barrels of gasoline, and after a deep, long, and satisfying pull on a cigarette, he flicks it into one of the gasoline tankers, blows himself up. It's a Several tiny pieces of Deadpool.
1: Which, due to Deadpool's robust healing factor, doesn't exactly do the trick. The Deadpool McNuggets are scooped up by Colossus, voiced by Stefan Kapičić, who takes the bag of Deadpool to (laughs) (laughs) the X-Mansion. Where Wade recovers, and after an extremely amusing bit of mansion exploration, Professor X's wheelchair, he agrees, for therapeutic reasons, right. to join the X-Men as a trainee, which means no killing. Absolutely no murder. Bad Deadpool, no killing. His first mission? Takes him to the Essex house for mutant rehabilitation, where one of the homes charges, Russell Collins, a.k.a. Fire Fist, played by... Julian Dennison is acting out using his powers, which allow him to shoot balls of fire from his hands. Is that the scientific explanation? Yeah, shoot balls of fire to hold
0: off local authorities. Deadpool, along with Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, played by Brianna Hildebrand, arrive in the X Men's Blackbird to attempt to defuse the situation. Deadpool quickly surmises that the faculty has been abusing their students, and in the ensuing hubbub, Deadpool, whoops, commits a murder. He wasn't supposed to do that. Uh, He's arrested and sent to the icebox, a high security prison for mutants. Young Russell, now his cellmate. The kid desperately wants to be Deadpool's friend, but uh, Mr. Poole's having none of that. Meanwhile, because of the power dampening collars all the prisoners wear, Deadpool's cancer has returned.
1: Enter cable. Played by Josh Brolin, looking who cool. you know taking a break from being Thanos, That's and right. so <laughs> that Infinity Gauntlet is exhausting. It's so
0: looking for it and getting the gems and fucking wearing the thing, and you can never take it off. So come on! <laughs> we will learn much more about Cable in the Citadel later on,
1: but. In essence, he is a bionic soldier from a dystopian future, and he is in this timeline on a mission to murder Russell before Russell can grow up to murder Cable's family. That is the event that led Cable to travel back in time in the first place. Once freed of his power-dampening collar, Deadpool manages to fight off Cable, though only just, and Cable takes Deadpool's skee-ball token, a treasured anniversary gift from Vanessa, and leaves Deadpool skull partially caved in to sink into an icy lake, where he has one of these visions that he experiences as he is, you know, he can't die. So we're saying post-death visions, but he can't really die. Sort of dead. Dead Dead-ish. Dead-ish, when he was dead-ish. Dead-ish visions of Vanessa,
0: where Deadpool realizes what he has to do to get his heart in the right place, protect Russell. That means he needs a team. Enter the X-Force. Put an ad on Craigslist, and this is what he came up with. Wade's brand spanking. Still got that new team smell of super mercenaries. There is Domino, played by Zazie Bates. Her power. Super lucky. There's Vanisher, played shockingly by Brad Pitt. He is invisible. There's Shatterstar, Louis Tan. Whatever it is that Chatterstar does. Zeitgeist, played by Bill Skarsgård. He pukes acid. Super gross. Bedlam, played by Terry Crews. He disrupts electric fields. And Peter, played by the ever humorous Rob Delaney, who is just a guy, literally just a guy. Deadpool and X Force, they launch a rescue
1: mission attempt on the prison convoy that's carrying Russell and his fellow prisoners out of the icebox to a new secure location. Great news. Really great news. Russell's free. Hey. Woo. Deadpool manages to fight off Cable again, Did it, granted guys. missing half his body after this yeah, whole fine. series of events, but, you know, sacrifices. However, some more bad news?
0: Yes, yeah, bad news. Light bad news.
1: The rescue mission also results in the super-strong supervillain Juggernaut being freed and then teaming up with Russell and heading off to the Rehabilitation Center so Russell can kill the headmaster who had been torturing him.
0: Also, small just thing here. one more small note.
1: little nugget, every single member of X-Force small except note. for Deadpool and Domino died while attempting to land from the helicopter. Wade, why do you think you have the weather app on your phone? Come on, guy. You have to check and then heed the wind
0: advisories. Cable tells Deadpool, who is currently regoing his legs and everything else below the waist, uh, that once Russell makes his first kill... He'll just never stop a murdering, and with the boy now in the company of the Juggernaut, he's going to be extremely difficult, like maybe impossible, to defeat. Cable agrees, though reluctantly, to team up with Deadpool and Domino, and to give Deadpool and Domino one chance at stopping Russell non-lethally. After that, he'll take things into his one Winter Soldier esque hand. Oh,
1: love thinking of Bucky <laughs> <laughs> at the orphanage. Deadpool, Cable, and Domino, and you know, pinder's there too. Let's, let's- shouts. Shouts to Dope now and always. Reinforced by Colossus and then eventually Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Yukio, played by Shioli Katsuna. Hi, Yukio! (laughs) Hi, (laughs) Wade! The Russian metal mutant defeats Juggernaut. Literally sticks a cable up his ass and then electrocutes him. Tough, tough beat for my guy. (laughs) Very tough beat. (laughs) And Cable feeling that Deadpool cannot stop Russell from killing the headmaster, and for good reason, because Russell is currently burning the entire building to the ground, raises up his gun and shoots at the boy. Deadpool, once again with the power-dampening collar on, thus preventing him from healing, leaps into the path of the bullet and is actually mortally wounded. Moved by the sacrifice, Russell does not commit the murder, altering the future, and saving Cable's family, which you can tell has happened because the blood and ash-soaked teddy bear that he's just
0: been walking right. around with. That's what you need. Suddenly looks pristine. Right. That's his version of Marty McFly's family picture. After witnessing this, Cable uses the last charge in his time travel device—that's bad writing, guys—to go back and <laughs> place the ski ball token in Deadpool suit which blocks the bullet. There's got to be an easier way to save his life than do that, right? Also, I, I don't want to get into it. But small
1: like small coin, like small token. You got to have a lot of confidence. I get it. Cable's a badass, but you got to have a lot of— like you have, uh, He has one charge left, uh, so there's only
0: one chance. That's a great point. Deadpool survives, and the gesture is still sufficient to dissuade Russell from going on his murderous path. Cable can't go home, but that's good news because the IP needs him.
1: For the IP. For the IP. For the IP. And then, guys, stinger time. We get two. We see Negasonic and Yukio repair Cable's time travel device for Deadpool, which, sure, he's the guy you want to give the ability to control time (laughs) to. Definitely want Deadpool to do it. And then we see Deadpool use this device to go back in time and repair various wrongs, including Vanessa's murder. Peter's death from Acid Vomit, the X-Men Origins Wolverine version of Deadpool, also played by Ryan Reynolds,
0: but that time with his mouth sewn shut, among other atrocities. Written by David Benioff, by the way, that movie. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Incredible Incredible shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds
1: preparing for the star-launching franchise that will be Green Lantern.
0: Mal, I got two charges, one to get me here, one to get me home. Well, that's just lazy. I know, tell me about it. It also gets us to this episode's big idea. So let us cut to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end of one of Deadpool's katanas, if not both. The defining theme of Deadpool 2 is satire. You know, whenever a genre becomes entrenched in the culture, becomes hegemonic, Once the tropes of a particular style of genre have been codified and established and are kind of like well understood by everyone, if not consciously, it's only a matter of time then until a film or story or something comes along, which pokes fun at those tropes. In the 1970s, disaster movies like Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, The Swarm were all the rage. And then in 1980 came Airplane. And if you haven't seen Airplane 50 million times, then you're Probably 22 or something like that, in which case, like, so don't, you're
1: one of 50 staffers, you're one of 50 staffers of The Ringer
0: who's never seen the airplane, starring Leslie Nielsen and with cameos by Kareem El Duljabar, among others. And that movie is very much like Deadpool. There's jokes that reappear, asides, fourth wall breaking, kind of like these dreamlike escapades, a lot of things that happen. Cop movies of the 1980s, Lethal Weapon. 48 Hours begat the Naked Gun series, also starring Leslie Nielsen. The 1990s horror revival, Sparked by Scream, resulted in the scary movie series. And now we have Deadpool 1 and 2, movies which at once delight at skewering the tropes and the absurdities of comic book movies while, and this is actually like a tricky balance. I was thinking while watching this. The movie, while making fun of the genre, still deploys those tropes for actual storytelling effect. Like, there's an actual story here with emotional beats about the loss of a loved one and kind of finding his way to being a hero, even though he's like a paid for hire murderer. That's harder to do, I think, than people realize.
1: Yeah. The film, neither Deadpool 2 nor the original Deadpool, they're not pure parody. That's right. They're not just making fun of the thing. They are doing the thing while poking fun at the thing and then continuing to do the thing, sort of simultaneously paying homage to the genre while attempting to improve it in some way. And I think it's probably up to each person to decide if it is an improvement. But undeniably, one of the things that for most people, most movie consumers and comic book movie consumers, felt so refreshing about the first movie was that it attempted so blatantly and at times savagely to do just that, like unapologetically, unafraid to say, we're going to do both. We're going to do the thing and we're going to make fun of the thing as we're doing the thing. I think what we spent a good amount of time talking about in the lead up to Deadpool 2 was whether this film, the second installment, would be content to, in essence, attempt to replicate that formula or whether there would be a compulsion to either double down or reinvent entirely. And it's pretty impressive. I think, again, whether or not you actually like the movie is in some cases in this respect beside the point. Right. Because it's pretty impressive to be able to do the same thing again, but maybe do it better than you did the first time. Yes. To do it again and not have the takeaway for most people be, oh, well, this was like fun and fresh and weird and new the first time. And now it just feels stale and like they're trying to replicate
0: the same trick. This was... A funny movie. It was really funny. I mean, we're laughing hysterically throughout. And, you know, the interesting thing about it, an approach like this is you look at the box office numbers. Now it's the number two largest opening of a rated R movie. Number one being the first Deadpool. Right. Which interesting to me about this approach is it requires the audience. Like, you don't get as much out of it unless you are familiar with all these movies. You have to have seen Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Not only seen that movie, but have read the content and the criticism surrounding that movie to really get some of the jokes that occur in this movie. There's a joke in there. At one point, Deadpool is talking about fighting off a cape crusader, and then he says, his mother's name was Martha, too, which is how Dawn of Justice ends, how Superman and Batman (laughs) reach a detente. At another point, he goes, he says to Cable when he's first meeting him, he goes, God, you're so dark and gritty. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? That joke doesn't land unless the audience is aware of the criticism of DC movies writ large, which is like a really interesting approach. I think that that is definitely
1: true. The, the one thing that maybe makes the film accessible to people who don't have that level mm-hmm. of understanding is just the sheer volume. Yes, it's they, of, they get shots up. Of the meta commentary. Like, if you for some reason have opted, well, for some yeah. reason, for, for many valid reasons, have opted out of the DC experience, <laughs> yeah. you might still get. All of the Marvel jokes. And the entire movie opens with a shot at the X-Men. I love it. Which is then a through line of the entire film. But the opening scene as this first (laughs) toaster strudel, gasoline barrel, cigarette suicide plays out is Deadpool saying... Fuck Wolverine. First he rides by coattails with the R rating, and then that hairy motherfucker ups the ante by dying. What a dick. Well, guess what, Wolvie? I'm dying in this movie. And then he play he has a
0: wind-up toy that's Wolverine impaled on a <laughs> stick. <laughs> yeah, it's like the end of Logan in, in, in miniature. It's perfect. The idea
1: that Deadpool isn't actually just mocking the superhero genre aspects that don't work, but also mocking the ones that are widely lauded is fascinating because Logan is one of the most critically acclaimed superhero films
0: ever. Certainly ever. It was
1: certainly one of the ones in, in recent years where people said, okay, because the conversation around Deadpool the first time. There was a lot of joy and and jubilation and celebration, and people were like, there were a lot of dick jokes, and I laughed, and that's enough for me. There was also a part of the conversation that, in essence, boiled down to, if that's what a superhero movie has to be, if it's going to be R-rated, I don't want that. And Logan recalibrated that slightly. That was a movie where people laughed and said, this is almost a prestige film. Will this earn an Oscar nomination? Of course we get a nod to the Academy in Deadpool as well. So, again, even the stuff that works is still subject to Wade's katana attacks. And and that is really fascinating because the idea that nothing in the genre can escape, critique, somehow elevates
0: the entire experience. It's interesting because for me, Deadpool 1 came out the same year as Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And for me, that was the movie, Deadpool, that really legitimize the Marvel approach over the DC approach. And what I mean is Deadpool went hard after the laughs, hard after the laughs. And this is a character. Listen, Deadpool has a cult following. I'm not trying to take a dump on anyone who has enjoyed Deadpool's comics content over the years since his introduction in the early 90s. He's not like Iron Man level. He's not Captain America. Level. Deadpool is a fringe character whose like ongoing series has been canceled multiple times. And the fact that they were able to generate the biggest r rated opening weekend ever based on this character based on a script that is really hilarious, takes a lot of shots at the genre while a film that had two of the most iconic characters in culture, writ large, forget comics like Batman and Superman, that's as big as it gets, and that movie was considered a flop by its by the standards that it's judged on those two things together really legitimized the humorous, kind of playful approach that Marvel has taken. Now, Deadpool is a Fox movie. Fox has ownership of the X-Men. It's not yet, an MC Jason, movie. Jason,
1: yeah. are all of the X-Men in this movie?
0: Actually, some of them are <laughs> in, in, hilarious, <laughs> in fashion. hilarious fashion. Absolutely hilarious fashion. That's what's really interesting to me about Deadpool 1. And then Deadpool 2 really improved upon the formula. More jokes at the expense of characters that you love. Even the jokes about like movies that I liked, I'm like, that was Funny. That was funny. It's not even just at the characters. It's also like like the thing that
1: was so interesting, I thought about the the way the X-Men were deployed and the way yeah. X-Men IP was deployed, you know, having we we see X-Mansion in the first Deadpool. You know, we have Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Colossus in the first movie. And then in this one, we're spending more time in the mansion. Deadpool is in Professor X's wheelchair when he's overtly referencing the fact that, well, oh, could the studio and you know not right. <laughs> like, swing more <laughs> of this? We get a glimpse of Beast and other characters, like, closing the door Godfather (laughs) style. They're like, get this guy out of here. You can't see us. We're not a part of this. You didn't pay for us here. And to take it beyond just the actual nature of a given character or a given narrative arc in a given comic to the actual nature of how comic books Get to us today, yeah. to how we as consumers get to experience these stories and the level of control that the studios have and how things are divided and which characters can be together and which of them can't, especially right now in a moment of media mergers yeah. and all of this That's discussion about who will get to be together in the future, how will these movies be impacted by decisions that businessmen are making yeah. in rooms, is genuinely pretty Compelling and cool. Normally, these things have the actual stories have to exist not only separate from considerations like that, but in like such a glass case that no matter what happens, they will be untouched. And this is the exact opposite. You know, all of the fourth wall breaks, they're not just comic relief. They're actually, I mean, they are, of course, very effective comic relief. Fourth wall within a fourth wall that's like 16 (laughs) walls. They're also. In effort to actually bring you in so that there can be some sort of legitimate commentary, yeah. even if that commentary
0: is in the form of a dick joke. It's such a great point, actually, because, and I hadn't really considered that, but Deadpool really is kind of like this weird crossing over point where the Avengers He's and the like X Men, yeah, can exist <laughs> in the same universe. Deadpool makes comments on the Avengers, multiple Avengers. Obviously, these are characters not owned by Fox. At one point, he makes reference to the winter soldier's arm when he's looking at Cable's cybernetic <laughs> arm. He says when he's in the icebox, he's got the power dampening collar on that's keeping his healing factor in check. And he says, with this collar on, my superpower is just unbridled cancer. Give me a bone hour on a basically a hawkeye. <laughs> I mean, this is so sad. It is really interesting. What kind of house flipper do you think Wade <laughs> Wilson is, though? <laughs> well, he's not great to look at. <laughs> So I think that's going to be off-putting. But that is a really great point because this is really the only franchise where Marvel Cinematic Universe properties and Fox properties and Warner Brothers properties can kind of exist in the same reality. The Avengers Infinity War connections and nods are
1: particularly interesting to think of in that light because— these movies in essence came out at the same time, separated by mere weeks. Josh Brolin plays the villain. No, I mean, is Cable really a villain? Kind of seemed like a good Dang. hang to me. I but mean, Deadpool and Cable both
0: <laughs> like anti-heroes in the most right. 90s sense yes. of the word.
1: Nominally the villain or the guy you think is going to be the villain heading into this film. Obviously played Thanos in Infinity War and Deadpool says, speaks the word Thanos aloud at one point, acknowledges that that movie is happening, that this that the guy is in both of them. When you know that everybody in the theater is thinking about that, that's amazing. And then there's also the idea of how this Deadpool 2 experience could play as commentary on Infinity War in the future. Yeah. Like, maybe totally unintentionally, because, again, when they were making Deadpool 2, Infinity War had not come out yet, yeah. but... Spoiler alert for, you know, Avengers Infinity War, I guess. But it certainly seems like the Time Stone, among other possibilities, all of which we discussed on our Infinity War podcast, which you should go back and listen to on the Binge Mode feed, seems like the Time Stone is at least likely to play some role in bringing back all of these heroes. And it's more about the conversation. The conversation around Infinity War was, oh, my God. Did they just kill all these people? Can they be dead? What does it mean? Who's going to come back? When? How soon? And Deadpool, the, this movie opens with the main character blowing himself up. Yes, like think about his that head, contrast. His head separating from his flying out body. At you into yeah, in the middle of the screen. Like just think about that contrast in terms of what the films are even aiming to do and what they want the conversation around them. To be, and also just the idea that, again, we loved Infinity War, and I think a lot more people liked it than expected to, but it was a fucking bummer, it was like a, bummer. a huge fucking bummer. Literally half your favorites die. Yeah, and it doesn't, the fact that Deadpool Spoiler. is not a bummer or is a bummer in different ways, I guess, doesn't mean that it's a superior film. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that it is, but tonally, it is just attempting something that is such a stark contrast from the rest of the genre that in ways both direct and and indirect, you kind of can't help but view it as something that is existing in this stream, this perpetual, relentless stream, rapids at every turn. You can't escape the comic book movie. It feels like increasingly the only thing in culture <laughs> other than Star Wars and Game of Thrones that right. and Harry Potter that like has staying power and matters, but also as something that is trying to exist a little bit apart a little bit separately and and one of the things in that meta comic lore navel-gazing sense that's interesting to consider is how the film deals with the X-Force.
0: Ah, the X-Force. You know what we need to do, Deadpool says at one point, we need to build a fucking team. We need them tough, morally flexible, and young enough so they can carry this franchise 10 to 12 years. Just incredible. This is the kind of, like, banter that you will get when you buy your ticket for Deadpool 2. Because
1: that's like, at the end of Logan, when you're watching the kids, you're like, oh, they specifically cast these people to carry the franchise for 10 to 12 years. Oh,
0: 100%. And the great <laughs> thing about it... say it out loud. And the Absolutely hilarious thing about this is not only does Deadpool say that and then assemble the team, the team dies within minutes of their very first vision, most of them anyway. Deadpool says, I was always appalled by the blatant sexism in the group's name. X Men? Men? The point is, our group will be forward thinking, gender neutral. From now on, we'll be known as the X Force. And Domino says, Isn't that a little derivative? <laughs> you bet it is. Domino's superpower, by the way, is that she's extremely lucky. And even after. Every single member of X-Force, except for Wade and Domino, perish, again, within minutes of their very first mission. Deadpool does not believe it. And he says at one point, who would have come up with a hero with these kind of imaginary powers? Probably a guy who can't draw feet, he says, which is a reference to Deadpool and Domino and Cable's creator, Rob Liefeld, and his absolutely iconic inability to draw feet. He follows me on Twitter, big Lakers fan. Rob, it's nothing personal. I'm sure you've heard all of this before. And then there's, like, all the— Pop culture references. And this is another trademark of the character. I'll talk about that again in Citadel. Ton of pop culture references.
1: Well, just like more broadly, the thing that is so fun about this to me is just that when you're watching any sort of sci-fi or fantasy or superhero movie, one of the questions that you're asking yourself, unless it's abundantly clear, is, is this my universe? Is this right, right, my world? Like right. how how the does
0: Star Wars exist in Infinity War?
1: Exactly. Is Luke a virgin in Infinity War? <laughs> <laughs> Is Luke guzzling that blue milk in Infinity War? <laughs> God, I hope so. Straight from the tit <laughs> of the walrus. Tit into bottle into mouth. Yeah. We got a fact note on this one I'm from just Zach saying, Cram. listen. <laughs> Shouts to you, Zach Cram, for giving Shouts us notes that say it wasn't right from tit
0: to mouth. I'm there was saying, a bottle. If she wasn't there... He'd go straight from the tit, and you know it. <laughs> So, one of the things about
1: Deadpool that is just so delightful and that makes it easier for you to feel fully in on the joke, whatever the joke might be, is that this is so clearly our world. Yeah. This is so clearly our universe. And all of the meta comic book commentary aside, it's the non-comic pop culture references that really allow you to Mm -hmm. feel that way you know in the comic books Deadpool knows he's in a comic book he's looking through the panel to talk to you in the movies Deadpool is breaking the fourth wall to look to you and talk to you and whether he's breaking the fourth wall or speaking to another character what are some of the things he's saying well you know when he and Russell arrive at the icebox he makes a Harry Potter reference he says I wonder what gang I'll be in is there like a sorting hat that was probably my favorite of the film no surprise
0: what are some of the ones you liked best oh I liked uh, at one point Deadpool mentions that the first film in the series Deadpool 1 outperformed Passion of the Christ overseas and he says (laughs) he says overseas where there's no religion
1: (laughs) (laughs) I quite enjoyed calling Negasonic Teenage Warhead 11. That was great. Nice nice Stranger Things nod there. I like to get that current culture in, you know, not just referencing Interview with a Vampire. Oh, my God.
0: There's various references that Dopinder makes to Claudia, who is the 10-year-old vampire in Interview with a Vampire played by Kirsten Dunst at the time. Kirsten? Kirsten? Kirsten. The way that she (laughs) imbibes blood for the first time and then looks at Tom Cruise and says, I want more. And they do a whole thing on this. They really do.
1: The gentle frozen Papa Can You Hear Me thing, which That's- is not just one reference, but ultimately a recurring bit in the film is also truly delightful. Referring
0: to one of the orphanage faculty members as Jared Kushner. Exceptional. Was sh- Absolutely exceptional. I was honestly shocked at that one. Exceptional. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not only our world, but sadly, our it really, time.
0: It really is. Like, Deadpool is this bizarre liminal space where, like, multiple corporate IPs plus reality kind of merge in this kind of miasmatic, violent ballet. It's wonderful. At one point, Blind out his roommate, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, roommate. Pre-Vanessa roommate and then now post-Vanessa. Right. Now is trying to cheer him up after Vanessa's demise says, you need just keep on living. Deadpool says, thanks, Matthew McConaughey. Your words are a treasure.
1: Listen, I prefer you need to just keep on living to the other blind Al comment about the pity dick. <laughs> oh, very tough. Very very tough pep talk from, from Al. Oh, man. The, that's just lazy writing. I love that. Choice is superb because, again, it is simultaneously a pointed critique of the way these stories tend to work and some of the deus ex machina, MacGuffin, or at least just kind of lazy cheats that often prove crucial in these stories. And it is actually that in this story. It's it's (laughs) like having
0: your cake and eating it too, in a sense. Because on the one hand, you're saying, okay, this is like a trope and it's obviously a trope and let's call attention to it. Everybody look at this trope. But at the same time, guys, this story hinges on this trope. It doesn't work without this trope.
1: If the time travel device actually would have allowed cable to do more than two things, to move more than twice, then the climax of the movie doesn't work. However, the fact that the climax of the movie hinges on something that the movie is acknowledging is absurd. Tough. And yet,
0: brilliant. I think that this is harder to do than—listen, Isaac Lee has a crazy take that Deadpool 1 should have been up for Oscars. That's (laughs) fucking nuts. That's one of the spiciest takes I've ever heard in my life. That said, it is legitimately hard to strike this balance. Being funny is hard in general. Doing it in a way that is both self-lacerating and at the same time doesn't cut so deep that you can't support a story with these structures— it's actually amazing what they've done. What about the way the time
1: travel comes into play in The Stingers? Deadpool undoes yeah. Vanessa's death. Right. Peter's death. Yeah. His original version of Deadpool in the X-Men origin story. Written
0: by David Benioff. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds' decision to be Green Lantern. The great thing about that scene is Ryan Reynolds is holding the script for Looks Green so Lantern. full of possibility. Yeah, there's beautiful, bright, Spring sunlight shining in from this gigantic window behind him. Ryan Reynolds says, "This is it. I'm gonna make the big time now." And then Deadpool shoots him. You're welcome,
1: You're Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so like, there are some things in there that are jokes, right? Yes. Like the Ryan Reynolds Green Green Lantern thing is hilarious comedy. Like this yeah. guy's career was basically over when he made that movie, and it failed as spectacularly. He went to as movie jail did. for quite a while. And Deadpool is his triumphant return. And the yeah. fact that it's happening in the same genre where he fell on his face. Is not lost on him, obviously, or on anyone.
0: And the fact that he played this character before in a really bad movie yes, <laughs> it, like was terrible.
1: But what about the actual choices that occur in that post credit scene? Because yes, that could be an example, if you wanted to look at the film with a more critical eye, where yeah. the choice to pursue comedy and meta-commentary above right. like, storytelling, story-telling right? and, and purely sensical plot yeah. could actually have damning consequences for the future of the franchise and maybe the future of every comic book franchise based on some of the things they did in there. Like, if Vanessa comes back,
0: then did any of this happen? It's funny because this is now, like, the meta-comics problem. I thought a lot about why people love the... uh They call it, like, the Bronze Age of comics, which is, like, the 70s and 80s. And I honestly think it's because, like, all the time travel and, like, the massively complex plots hadn't really hit yet. Like, just the act of trying to sync up multiple titles and where they are in time and where characters who move from one title to another title, when, say, like, Thor from his solo book to his Avengers book, when do these two issues happen in time— All that effort to sync all that stuff up just creates this convoluted universe that just needs to be torn down sometimes. So, no, it actually doesn't. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the time travel stuff is incredibly convoluted. Like, okay, so Yukio and Negasonic fix the thing, which basically destroys cable stakes, as you noted, and also, like, shouldn't we give this back to cable? Like, there's a lot of questions that are unanswered, but in a lot of ways, this is what makes Deadpool a purely comic book movie. Like, i very, very true to the genre, very true to to comic book storytelling in the way that, like, the ends don't totally match up. There's a lot of stuff in there that is super hacky, but at times, like, necessarily hacky, and you're willing to let it go because it's a genre we enjoy. In the wake of Infinity War,
1: a lot of the conversation, and particularly a lot of the criticism, hinged on whether or not a movie can be considered effective and worthwhile and... Important if there aren't, quote, stakes. And on our podcast, when we talked about that movie, we disputed the idea that there weren't stakes. I think we both agree that the stakes can be slightly more subtle than are these people alive or dead and did this all hold up and still matter? But when you look at something like what happened at the end of Deadpool, I think you do have to at least ask, okay, well, are there stakes in this movie then? And and does it matter? Maybe it matters a lot less in Deadpool than it does in something like Avengers because the stakes are not really the point. The spectacle is the point. Right. You know, one of the things I really like about I'm a flashhead, as you know. Yes. And I really like Flashpoint because of how directly Flashpoint acknowledges what the cost of meddling with time mm. is and what the changes are and the splinters and how things will be different and how you cannot control or anticipate the outcomes. And so I'm curious to see if the next installment of Deadpool grapples with that at all, or if it's literally just a reset, like, okay, Vanessa is back and everything is fine now. And you know what? I think for most of the people who enjoy this franchise, that would be okay.
0: I agree. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Hanes. Since 1901,
1: Hanes has been innovating. It's no wonder
0: They're America's number one brand of underwear, and they just made it more comfortable.
1: Comfort Flex Fit underwear is the latest innovation in comfort from Hanes. Comfort Flex Fit is
0: cool. Comfortable.
1: Supportive. It's so comfortable, you'll
0: forget you're wearing it. How did they do it? With a breathable pouch for support and that roomy fit that you love. You'll wanna replace all
1: your underwear, every single pair of your underwear, after you try these.
0: These guys, and I'm talking about Hanes guys, they really know how to make that underwear. And won't break the bank. Thank God. You can get a pack of three for 15 bucks.
1: That's less than it costs to see Deadpool. Much less. It's also less than half of what you pay
0: for a single pair. Of crazy expensive designer underwear. Even celebrities have tried to get the Comfort Flex Fit box briefs and have been inspired to hashtag vouch for the pouch on their Instagram accounts. Once you try the breathable U-shaped pouch that safely and comfortably supports you where you need it most, you'll want to hashtag vouch for the pouch too. Jason, do you want to hashtag vouch for the pouch right now? I'm about to hashtag vouch for that pouch So give them a try at Hanes.com or wherever you buy Haynes. Binge Mode is also brought to you by Sonos. Ooh! Listen, I love my Sonos. It was very easy to set up. You kind of walk around the room waving your cell phone up in the air so that your cell phone can read the vibrations and the sound bouncing off your room and know where the speakers are set up. It's actually really fun and makes you feel like, wow, I really do live in in a future with great sound. Sonos is offering binge mode listeners 10% off of one order,
1: $2,500 or less for any product, any product
0: on Sonos.com. That's right. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions.
1: Use the promo code Binge 10 that's capital B I 10 at Sonos.com to receive this offer.
0: And now back to binge mode. Jason?
1: Yeah. You're so dark. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? Might be. (laughs) It's easy to get confused amid the proliferation of comic book films. So, please assemble the conclave. Yeah. Head to the Citadel down in the Essex house for mutant rehabilitation to teach us everything we need to know about the origins of Deadpool, Cable, and X-Force.
0: Oh, yeah. Listen, guys, at the peak of his influence, Rob Liefeld was the closest thing that comic books ever had to a rock star. Self-taught artists broke into the industry at the really amazingly tender age of 19, and by 24, his career was so hot that Spike Lee had cast him in a commercial for Levi's 501 Gene slogan, button your fly. Two years earlier, after stints on various titles across DC and Marvel Comics, Liefeld became the regular penciler on New Mutants, at that time the lowest selling of Marvel's X-Men-related properties. Liefeld turned New Mutants into a hit. Twelve issues into his run, Liefeld was given the keys. Full creative control of the series, that issue, issue number 98, featured the debut of a certain wisecracking mercenary named Deadpool. Liefeld imagined the character as being an amalgam of Spider-Man and Wolverine. Deadpool wore a red and black suit with very Spidey-like mask, through which he mouthed off a lot while doing acrobatic leaps, shooting guns, and waving swords. He also had a healing factor, ripping off Wolverine wholeheartedly. Introducing the lethal, Deadpool read the cover of New Mutants 98, the Merc with a mouth standing front and center carrying some kind of very intense looking like Bowie knife in one hand and in the other a silvery gun shaped like French bread. Liefeld's drawing style was really like nothing else out there and it captured the imaginations of early 1990s comic book readers. It was intensely fresh at the time. Liefeld drew like imagine if a can of Red Bull turned into a thirteen year old boy who wanted to be a sixteen year old boy who was a martial arts expert who only took a break from kicking ass to get laid. Liefeld gave his heroes and villains wild hairstyles that came in three flavors: Wolverine, ponytail, and Bruce Willis and Die Hard. His drawings had disturbing <laughs> choices. Tough choices. His drawings had really disturbingly chiseled physiques, like cuts on cuts on cuts. And limbs that posed and flexed in really anatomically impossible ways, as characters carried aggressively ginormous firearms and wielded ninja swords and had huge knives strapped across their chests. They leapt katanas out, guns leveled through the panel directly at you. And they leapt off feet that were invariably drawn to look like the pointy end of a cartoon devil's tail. These feet were like staring down the top of a foot toward the toes, but if the toes were like 15 miles away from the ankle, it was like if Rob Liefeld had literally never seen a foot and was not interested in ever seeing a foot and also didn't want to ever draw them. It was actually insane. Should have consulted the uh, foot fetish guy from Mindhunter. Rob, check that out. His feet looked like golf putters. They still do, as a matter of fact. Deadpool, in his first storyline, was hired to kill Cable, the leader of the New Mutants. How to describe Cable now? Let's see. Nathan Summers, a.k.a. Cable, is the future timeline son of Cyclops, aka Scott Summers, and Madeline Pryor. Madeline Pryor now was, after numerous retcons, revealed to be a clone of Jean Grey, Scott's first love and ex teammate. The clone was created by the supervillain Mr. Sinister, who planned to have her seduce Scott, thus creating a baby that Mr. Sinister would then raise as his own. Life felt age that baby up to an adult. And called him Cable. He based the character on a direction from Marvel Editorial that the new mutants should have a military-style leader. Cable was born a powerful telekinetic and telepath, but he's a carrier of the deadly techno-organic virus, and his mutant powers are working all the time to keep this virus in check, and therefore he does not have access to them. Thus, Cable was always having to carry around all this crazy weaponry, all these guns. New Mutants ended with issue number 100, and the next episode was relaunched as X-Force number one in August 1991. The team's original lineup included Cable, the leader, Domino, Shatterstar, and many others. Deadpool was a recurring character at this point, and over the next few years, the Mercenary mostly made cameo appearances in various other Marvel titles. Then in 1997, he was given his own eponymous ongoing series, and it was here that the real Deadpool's trademark style began to come together. Previously, Deadpool was just really a hyper-violent shit-talker. Movie Deadpool would probably quip that his early comics incarnation was so dark and gritty they belonged in the DC universe. He would probably say that on himself. Indeed, the character's look and skill set is in large part a rip-off of the DC villain Deathstroke. Deadpool's real name, Wade Wilson. Deathstroke's real name, Slade Wilson. Aha! Yo, shouts to my arrowheads. Shouts to my arrowheads. (laughs) Deadpool writer Joe Kelly introduced humorous elements, pop culture references, and the fourth wall-breaking digressions that have in large part become the characters' trademarks. Now, those elements, particularly the fourth wall-breaking, were developed over the years by the creators that succeeded Joe Kelly, including Christopher Priest, Gail Simone, Jerry Duggan, among many others. Liefeld became extremely popular. His art style was a fucking sensation. And... He feuded with Marvel over issues of control and fair compensation for his work. He had created Cable, Deadpool, Domino, all these characters that were all of a sudden huge, huge properties, and he couldn't benefit from them. What's he going to do? He left the company in 1992 along with Tom McFarlane, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, and Jim Valentino, all young creators, all disaffected by the status quo at the big two. They went on to found Image Comics. Leifeld's reputation took a cr- Critical hammering when the fever dream comics boom of the 1990s went bust. In 2007, Bill Hanstock wrote a iconic blog, the 40 worst Rob Liefeld drawings, probably the most influential piece of Liefeld criticism in large part because of the post numerous and very humorous examples of Liefeld being really, really, really bad at drawing feet. Whatever Leifeld's shortcoming as an artist, his contributions to the genre are absolutely indelible. Deadpool 2 just had the second largest opening for an R-rated movie ever behind, wow, look at that, Deadpool 1. And Image Comics, the publisher he co-founded, is arguably the most vibrant and successful home for creator-owned IP, much of it critically acclaimed, including Saga, East of West, including The Wicked and the Divine, and many others in the industry today. Rob Liefeld, comics legend mal yeah stay back or justin bieber dies biebs by the way isn't actually in deadpool 2 but he's one of the only people alive who wasn't because in addition to myriad's expert nods to the wider comic universe this film features as many surprise celebrity appearances as russell can fit into his prison wallet which is you don't want to know what that is so let's head to the sept (laughs) sister margaret's to bathe in the land of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite celebrity cameos in deadpool 2 i will go first Number 1. Matt Damon totally unrecognizable. What? Did not recognize him. <laughs> I love this. As a redneck hanging out by a pickup truck as Cable time travels into the timeline some yards behind him, here is Matt Damon as the redneck discussing the ways that he uses toilet paper wipes <laughs> and occasionally a hair dryer to get that clean feeling that he needs. Well, sure after a baby wipe,
1: you sure. know. This was a delightful discovery to realize Matt Damon. Had been I, he in did this movie. that did truly not shocking. look like Matt Damon. T- truly shocking. Similarly shocking though people were on to this one a little faster. Number 2, Brad Pitt is in this movie. Great, great, great. In a real blink and you'll miss him fashion, literally for like a second, Brad Pitt's face flashes into view when the Vanisher who had been previously invisible, yes. <laughs> is electrocuted. And suddenly pops up on our screens, just mere moments into the X Force's first mission and failed mission. Brad Pitt turns out his kids love Deadpool. They called him up.
0: They were like, "Hey, hey, you got five seconds?" And he was like, "Yeah, I'll be electrocuted in your movie. <laughs> Count me in." Alan Tudyk from Firefly is the other redneck listening to Matt Damon talk about how he uses his toilet paper. He, I recognized. Matt Damon, oh, yeah. I was like, what? You expect to hear Alan Tudyk talking yeah, when you about Philippines. You, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number four, Taylor Swift's cats. Yeah. Now, this one was tough to spot, but shouts to BuzzFeed and other places on the internet for doing so. When Deadpool is riding around X Mansion in Professor X's wheelchair, he previously dressed by Colossus. There's like a nod to the fact that he did not put on his own clothing. And what is he wearing? He's wearing a T-shirt featuring Taylor Swift's two cats, Meredith and Olivia. I love it. Olivia and Meredith. Friends
0: forever. Spelled F-U-R. Number five. Director David Leitch and the Deadpool writers. Leach is one of the icebox prisoners being transferred when Russell is being moved on the convoy along with Juggernaut. And writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick appear as journalists in the helicopter that chops poor Shatterstar into a fine green mist. Real gross. Extremely disgusting. Number six.
1: We already talked about Ryan Reynolds actually appearing in this movie as Ryan Reynolds, but we just want to once again shout that out because it really is tremendous. This pick is kind of a cheat, but when he is polishing off reading the Green Lantern script, again, the film that almost derailed his career and is then killed by... His version of Deadpool, the character that resurrected his career, that is just priceless. And there's also another much subtler moment when Deadpool signs the cereal box and the camera zooms in. It says, Ryan Reynolds.
0: Number seven, Stan Lee, of course, can't have it without Stan. But not a live cameo this time. Stan appears as a work of graffiti art.
1: Shouts to Stan. Shouts to Stan. The only constant in life. And that's why
0: Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is pure (laughs) pornography, Mal. (laughs) Also, by the way, nice little uh, thing I just realized. Blake Lively. His wife.
1: That's right. His beautiful wife. (laughs) Gorgeous.
0: I should have stayed in college. Same goes for today's winner. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most. And this week, we're awarding our champion's purse, paid out in weather app downloads, to Domino. Let's talk about fridging really quickly. Fridging is a trope term coined by comics creator Gail Simone that refers to when a hero, superhero is motivated to action by the torture and obscene murder of his loved one. It refers to an incident that happens in Green Lantern, number 54, in 1994, when title hero Green Lantern comes home to find his girlfriend stuffed into his refrigerator. So I think in the context of that, what a delight Zazzy Bates is. Right. So when the screenwriters for Deadpool 2 were asked
1: about this and why they felt like they had to make another movie where the dead girlfriend is the motivation, one of the things that they said was that they had not heard of this term fridging, that they were not familiar with this. And this fairly caused a bit of an uproar online. And there's been a lot of discussion and debate about not only that particular response and that particular acknowledgement or failure to acknowledge the issue, but again, about the issue in general. And it is worth talking about that. It is also worth, of course, remembering that this is not just a superhero movie problem. This is a problem in culture, period. Plenty of non-superhero stories involve a dead girl as motivation. And, you know, again, so the fact that there is a strong female character who is vibrant every time she's on screen and is kind of actually, at various points, the only one who seems to be in control and getting shit done.
0: Yes. Definitely something to celebrate in this movie. Now, we'll get more Domino in the upcoming X-Force film, but she was compelling enough to generate Give Domino Her Own Movie by her own Micah Peters. Let's talk about Domino's powers really quickly. It is a weird thing to understand. First of all, she's extremely acrobatic, can fight, can wield weaponry, is uh, an assassin and a mercenary, but... Basically, she's like a low-level telekinetic, but she doesn't have conscious access to these powers. So as she's moving through a battle space or something, this power is constantly nudging objects that are around her to create a space that is more amenable to what she's trying to do. Therefore, giving her outcomes that one would deem lucky and giving – her enemies' outcomes that one would deem unlucky. There is a, another character who had a power very similar to this is Longshot, who's like Shatterstar, another denizen of the mojo world. Beautiful blonde, flowing hair and four fingers on each hand. Oh,
1: goodness. Yeah, yeah You know, the the landing on the inflatable toy and obviously yeah. being one of the only people, uh, the only person other than Deadpool who makes it out of the chopper ploy alive and all these things. Where you say, oh, okay, the luck aspect, I'm getting it. Then you watch her fight with Cable, and you're like, oh, she's just a fucking killer. Like, she's holding her own in that fight. Very impressive. I also think we have to acknowledge that Zazie has given interviews where she explained that she did, in fact, opt not to shave her
0: armpit hair for this film. I didn't didn't notice that, like, even a little bit. Just be you. Be you. Listen, I've spent uh, a lot of my youth following the band Fish around the country, and— I've seen it all, guys. You used to have dreads. Hair is hair. <laughs> it's natural. I did not actually notice it at all. Like, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't either, I didn't but pick this up has been a thing online. Yeah. I
1: just again, it's like a small thing, but it's a great way to say, you know what? You're a strong, independent woman. Do whatever right. you feel is right. That's right. Shouts to you. Shouts. Maybe you should have gone to college. Yeah, but sure. Or finish college, as you say, in the car when they're talking about Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I can see how having to witness that conversation would lead one to reassess (laughs) one's life choices. But again, you know what? You're doing great. Definitely does not get enough screen time. You know, the fact that the Let's Put a Team Together trope doesn't come into play until a good chunk into the film, by definition, cuts down on how often Domino can be in the movie. But when Domino is in a scene, Domino owns the scene. So, Uh Domino, you are our winner. Congratulations. Well, friends, Let's fuck some shit up is our middle name. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today that you are as excited as we are for Con of Thrones on Memorial Day weekend. Please come. Get your tickets now. Join us. And for Binge Mode Harry Potter's launch on June 11th. Let's go. And we hope that you will join us again next week when we hope to be discussing Solo, a Star Wars story. That's right. Until then, remember, it's a goddamn fanny pack. It really is. And you know it. You sick son of a bitch. The difference is night and day.
0: Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you see me? Papa, can you find me in the night? Sounds like Frozen. <laughs> it's the same song! Nobody talks about this. Today's show was brought to you by Sonos. Listen, I love my Sonos. Thing bangs. When I'm playing Overwatch in it, I hit that ultimate. Man, Satisfying. Love it.
1: Sonos is offering binge
0: mode listeners 10% off on one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code BINGE10, that's capital
1: B I N G E 10 at Sonos.com to receive this offer.